Now, you may have come tonight expecting uh, me to talk about the Psalms, because we've been talking about the Psalms for a long time now on Wednesday nights. We're going to take a break. Uh, I want to address uh, some things going on in our nation uh, tonight. And really, this is more than anything therapy for me to kind of process all that's going on from a biblical perspective. And so I'm going to kind of let you in on how I'm thinking through a lot of these things and uh, what the Lord's teaching me and uh, hopefully give you some handles to be able to think through uh, these different issues. It has been a tremendously... um, Sad, gut wrenching week. You know, I like y'all woke up Monday morning. I always look at the headlines and could not believe what had transpired overnight and uh, in, in Las Vegas and just the the tremendous loss of life and the evil and and uh, it was just it just felt like um, it, 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 I just felt sick. I mean, just sick over it and uh, and still do and. And uh, just trying to trying to you know get your mind around uh, that, and not just that. I mean, uh, you know, there have been so many of those mass shootings in our nation, uh, going all the way back. You know, I was thinking this week about the kind of the one that um, came to prominence first in our nation, which was Columbine. Remember how awful that was? And I remember I was in seminary when it happened, and and I just couldn't, I just couldn't hardly function because it just made me feel so sick and. And we see it all too often in our in our nation. And uh, not only that, we've got you know natural disasters going on. We got people that are still struggling in Houston, and people in Florida, and people in Puerto Rico, and uh, folks in Mexico, and landslides in South Asia. And uh, it's just a reminder that we live in a dangerous world. So what I want to do tonight. So I want to look together at really an obscure passage of Scripture. A lot of people don't even know it's here. Uh, it's, uh, it's a passage where Jesus speaks, um, and so we ought to know it's there. Uh, but uh, it's a passage about living in a dangerous world. And I want to just share with you some reflections tonight, three major reflections about living in a dangerous world. And then we're going to pray together. At the end, I've got some ways to encourage you to pray in the midst of all um, that's going on. So look there with me, Luke chapter... 13, Luke chapter 13, verse 1. The Bible says there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those... 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Interesting words, and uh, these words are uh, Jesus' response to danger, to, to people that experience danger and disaster in different ways and in different settings. So, uh, three headings as we kind of walk through this passage, three uh, three thoughts for you to, to, to grasp hold of tonight uh, about living in a dangerous world. Number one, in this passage we see the reality of a dangerous world. The reality of a dangerous uh, world. Jesus mentions two ways that people die in this passage. And these two ways are relevant in terms of what's going on in our world today. The first is death caused by evil intent. Death caused by evil intent. It says there, there was some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, there's some debate uh, concerning what this verse is about. What was the setting of, of Pilate killing some Galileans. And there's historical debate. And the Bible doesn't say clearly what historical event is being dealt with here. But uh, from other history writings, we get an inkling of what might have happened. Uh, One uh, historical writer um, wrote that this atrocity may have occurred when Pilate infuriated the people, the Jews. You know, Pilate was the Roman governor over that Jewish territory. And there was a time when he infuriated the Jews because he took money from their temple treasury. People they put in, uh, people put money into the temple treasury to maintain the, the temple worship. And he took money out of that treasury and he built an, an aqueduct with it. And so this infuriated the Jews. And the Jews gathered together at the temple and they were protesting. And according to historical sources, 
Pilate had Roman soldiers in civilian clothes mingling among the Jews, and when the signal was given, these Roman soldiers pulled out concealed weapons and killed many of the Jews. So that may be what they're talking about here. We're not sure if that's the same setting or same story, but we do know there was great... um, Uh, animosity between Pilate and the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders. They didn't like each other at all, which makes it ironic when they're cooperating at the end of the Gospels to kill Jesus. Uh, But but there's this great animosity. Pilate didn't care for the Jews. Jews didn't care for Pilate, their Roman governor. And whether it was that story or some other story, uh, Pilate saw to it that Galileans, Jewish people, were killed. Uh, and, and so they died because of the evil intent of another, which is exactly what happened in Las Vegas, right? People died because of the evil intent of another. Make no mistake about it, that is pure, unadulterated evil. Uh, I believe there's uh, demonic things going on at that, at that level of, 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 uh, of, 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 of murder, and, and, and it was just evil, and, and people, innocent people died because of the evil intent of another. And so Jesus says, uh, or, or the people say here, are you aware, Jesus, that, that people died because of the evil intent of another? There's another type of, of, of death Jesus mentions, and this death caused by disaster. Death caused by disaster. Look what it says in verse 4. Jesus says, Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem. So Jesus is saying, hey, you, you know that there was a disaster uh, near the Pool of Siloam. There's a tower being built, and people were involved in the construction of that. And for whatever reason, the tower fell, and 18 people died, a very well-known incident. So he assumed the people talking to him knew about that incident. And Jesus mentions this, this death by accident, death by disaster. This is not death because of the evil intent of another. This is death because people are in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we certainly see that in our world today too. Like people that were in Puerto Rico and died. Or people in South Florida. Or people in Houston. Or whatever the case may be. Uh, We see people die because they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Natural disaster or some other type of accident or disaster. and, And people die for that reason too. And so Jesus by... By discussing these two incidences just reminds us that we live in a dangerous world. I mean, it was dangerous in the first century, and it's dangerous today. That's why the Bible says that, that life is like a vapor. Here, here one moment and, and gone the next. Uh, the Bible gives us no guarantees about length of life. We're not guaranteed another beat of our heart, another, another breath. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Life is very uncertain. Life is dangerous. And that'll bless you tonight, won't it? It's like, well, I'm glad I came for a way to tell me that. Uh, but but that, that's the reality. We, we live in a dangerous... Some people live uh, in such a way that they think they're never going to face death. Uh, and they try to put death out of their minds and eternity out of their minds. And that is such foolishness. Uh, we need to understand that we live in a dangerous world. This is in your notes. Uh, I think it's in your notes. Do you see the, the t- ten ways to pray uh, at the end? Okay. If you look at number ten, David Platt wrote this. And under number ten, he said, pray for the coming of Christ. He said, my son said to me this morning, this is after the Las Vegas uh, situation. My son said to me, said to me this morning, Dad, at least we're in a safe place in the world. To which I responded, Son, unfortunately, there's no safe place in this world. And, and do you realize that's true? There, there's no safe place in this world. We are all in danger of, of being harmed by evil people. We're all in danger of being in the wrong place at the wrong time for, because of accidents or natural disasters or whatever the case may be. We live in a dangerous world. So, what are we to do with that? How are we to handle that? Specifically or particularly as Christians, how should we face that, that stark Reality. Well, it leads to the second heading, the danger of dogmatic pronouncements. Jesus mentions here the danger of dogmatic pronouncements. Look what it says in verse 2. They came to him and said, Have you heard about the Galileans who died because of Pilate? Verse 2, he says, He answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? 
And then in verse 4, Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? So he's kind of digging below the surface, talking about these, these sad situations, and he's helping them to think through their theology. And he's asking this question, Do you think these people died because they did something wrong? Do you think their death is a, a consequence for their uh, behavior? which was a very common view in uh, first century Jerusalem or first century Israel. Do you remember the story in John chapter 9 when Jesus is walking along with his disciples? They see a man who'd been blind since birth. And the disciples stop and ask Jesus the question, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So their, their theology was this. If someone's suffering, they did something wrong. They had no category for unexplained suffering. They just didn't. And, and you and I understand, don't we, that sometimes we suffer and there's no rhyme or reason to it. Remember Job? Job was suffering, and we know the backstory because we have the book of Job. He didn't know any of that. He didn't know about the meeting in heaven between the Lord and Satan and Satan allowing, or the Lord allowing Satan to, to come against Job and take away uh, everything that he held dear in his life. Job didn't know any of that. He just knew he lost everything, and he was hurting. And his three friends come up, and they sit with him for about seven days and don't say a word, and they were doing great until they opened their mouths. And when they opened their mouths, they began to try to tell Job why he's suffering. And basically their theology goes like this, Job, you really blew it. So just fess up. What'd you do? Because you wouldn't be suffering like this if you didn't do anything wrong. And Job's saying, guys, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live faithfully for the Lord. I, you know, I'm, I'm living as a man of integrity. I, I don't see any egregious areas of sin in my life. and So I, I, I can't explain it as, being, uh, as, as this happening as a consequence for my sin. I, I, I'm trying to live righteously for the Lord. This suffering is unexplained. And his friends say, come on, Job, come on. This surely wouldn't have happened at this level if you were living faithfully for the Lord. So just come clean. Tell us what you did wrong. And we see there the very limited perspective of the three friends, the very limited uh, and wrong theology of the three friends. We need to understand that there is a category in, uh, among humanity of unexplained suffering. Sometimes we suffer. Now, sometimes we suffer because we do dumb things. Right? When that happens, if, if you're experiencing the consequences for your sin, God will let you know that. He'll convict you and show you that, that God's allowing that in your life to get you right with Him. So there's sometimes we suffer because we, do, we, we, we are acting foolish. Okay, that, that happens. But there is another category where we suffer and there's no rhyme or reason. It just doesn't make sense. And listen to me. When we begin to try to make sense out of those situations or others try to make sense out of those situations for us, that's when we get into trouble. And Jesus here is warning against these dogmatic pronouncements. Be very careful about saying why the Galileans died. Be very careful about, about saying why these folks at the Tower of Siloam died. Don't try to explain it. On behalf of God. God doesn't need you to be a spokesperson. This is what Jesus is saying. Be very careful about thinking you understand why people die or why people suffer. And so me and you, we should be very, notice I put that in all capital letters, we should be very careful about speaking for God. Very careful about speaking for God. I've even seen some religious leaders that immediately begin to explain why Las Vegas happened. I heard uh, Pat Robertson uh, say, well, this is because uh, we're not respecting the flag, and this is because of this happening in our country, and this happening in our country, and he immediately begins to speak for God where God hasn't spoken. It's, it's mysterious, right? It's unexplained. He's going to explain it for us. That's dangerous. Very, very dangerous. We don't, we don't know why Las Vegas happened. God hasn't told us that. And when God hasn't told us that, we need to wait to heaven to hear the full story. Amen? And if we haven't heard the full story from God, if God hasn't spoken, then we need to say, we don't have all the answers. And it's very dangerous and very insensitive, I think, to begin to try to explain someone's suffering for them when you have no clue what God's up to. 
Very insensitive. I feel like sometimes we can kind of spout these, these kind of Christian platitudes or these Christian one-liners and we go to somebody that's really, really hurting and going through a deep valley and we say, oh, you can give the one-liner. Like everything's going to be okay now because you gave them the one-liner. No, we need to say, you know what? Sometimes the best thing I can do is just shut my mouth and just be there, right? I, I, you know, as a pastor, I've walked with families through some very deep waters and I can almost guarantee you that if, if you went to some of those families and say, can you remember anything Pastor Wade said during that time? They'd say, I don't have a clue what he said. Right? But they remember whether or not I was there, right? And, and when someone's there for you, they, you remember that they were there. Not necessarily what they said, but they were there, right? We, we need to be very careful about speaking for God. We saw this when um, Katrina hit New Orleans. Immediately, well, it's because of the wickedness of the city. Interesting, you didn't hear those same pronouncements when the hurricane hit Houston, as if Houston has no sin. Right? You see how you see how inconsistent that can be. People speaking on behalf of God. Well, New Orleans has Bourbon Street. That's why Katrina hit New Orleans. But no one said anything like that about Houston. Does that make sense to you? Doesn't to me? Houston has a lot of sin, and I guarantee you, it's a big mega city. Lots of sin, lots, lots of things. And we, we want to just speak for God. This is why this happened. And we have no clue. No clue. And so Jesus is proving, why do you think these folks died? Does your theology handle a situation like this? That they died because, uh, because uh, they sinned? Is that what you think? Or could there be something bigger going on here that you don't understand? We should be very careful about speaking for God. We need to be very careful, as I already said, with trite answers. Now, Christians through the centuries have attempted to develop a theodicy. That's T-H-E-O-D-I-C-Y. T-H-E-O-D-I-C-Y. So what is a theodicy? A theodicy is basically an attempt to explain how a good, all-powerful God and evil can exist at the same time. As a matter of fact, one of the chief... um, one of the chief hang-ups with those who are atheists say, I don't believe there's an all-good, all-powerful God because if there's an all-good, all-powerful God, how could evil exist at the same time? And that's one of their main issues or hang-ups with Christianity. And, and so Christ, Christians through the years have tried to, try to develop this theodicy, this argument, this, this, uh, this theology for how there can be a, an all-powerful, omnibenevolent, all-good God and and evil in the world at the same time. You ever thought about that question? How, how can that be? Well, again, sometimes there's more questions than answers there. Uh, the, the simple answer, and I'm going to give you some more in just a moment, but the simple answer is this. Uh, since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world and we live in a cursed creation. We live in a cursed world. That's why there are things like cancer and diabetes. Um, That's why there are things like hurricanes. Did you hear there's another hurricane headed towards Florida? Did you hear that? South Caribbean, it's right there around Nicaragua right now. They're not exactly sure it's going to go. somewhere. They think it's going to make landfall somewhere between uh, Louisiana and the Panhandle. It probably they're thinking it might be category one by the time it gets there. Just that's you know I'm a Floridian. I'm always watching the the tropics. But but um, uh, I told my dad today he lives in Florida. He didn't even know it. He said you're kidding. I said no. I'm telling you there's one developing. It's about to hit warm water and get strong. So um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, that's why we have hurricanes and and earthquakes and 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 rock slides. We live in a cursed world, cursed by sin. Things are not like they. Uh, should be or, or ought to be. And one day God's going to come back and set everything right. But right now we live in a cursed world. The creation's cursed and we all have a sin nature living in this cursed creation. That's why we do evil things. Which by the way, some people say, well, if God is all powerful and all good, He should eradicate evil instantly. Are you sure that's what you want? Are you sure you want God instantly eradicating evil immediately? If He did, none of us would be here tonight. Right? So 
so God, God is, what God is doing, he is, he is working in the midst of this fallen world, this fallen humanity, and he is, he is redeeming, He's saving and changing. And one day He's going to come make it all right. But right now, we live between the Garden of Eden and the Garden in the new creation around the throne of God. We live between the, the curse of sin and the promise of heaven, and it is hard. It's hard. That's why evil exists, even though God is all good and God is all powerful. So we know that, but, but here's some things, trying to explain and understand this. Here's some things we know for sure because the Bible speaks to them. All right? We don't want to speak on behalf of God and we don't know uh, the reason something happens, but we can speak clearly when the Bible speaks. Amen? Truth with no mixture of air. So what does the Bible tell us that are some, some things that we can stand on that are foundations for us when we are experiencing hardship and suffering in this world. Let me give you some of them tonight. Number one, God is not powerless. God is not powerless. The Bible says in Psalm 62, 11, once I've spoken, twice I've heard that, that power belongs to our God. Theologians use the word uh, omnipotent. That means God has all power at His disposal. He is Almighty God. So He's not powerless. He's, he's powerful. And you understand that. Even though we don't understand sin and, and suffering and mass shootings and all of that, don't, don't lose sight of the fact that God is powerful. The reason these things happen, are happening is not because God is weak. Amen? The Bible is clear. God is all powerful. Secondly, God is not detached. Turn to Exodus with me very quickly. Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. This is at the end of the chapter when it speaks of the Israelites uh, existing in Egyptian bondage and slavery, being mistreated, being treated harshly by Pharaoh and his evil taskmasters. And it says in chapter 2, verse 23, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue for slavery came up to God. And God, I love this, heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham. He's going to protect Abraham's descendants here. He remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. I love this last verse. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. They were suffering. They didn't know when the suffering was going to come to an end. They were desperate. The Bible says God knew it. God saw it. God heard. God knew exactly what they were going through. He knew about their fears, their anxieties, their their despondency. God knew what they were experiencing. And so God is not powerless and God is also not detached. He knows exactly what's going on in our country. He knows exactly what's going on in our world. He knows exactly what's going on in our hearts. He knows. He's he's not detached. He, He cares. There's a an old view of God called deism that God kind of wound up creation and then He kind of sits back and is kind of distant watching it all kind of unwind and, and, and that could not be further from the biblical picture of God. The, the Bible says of, of our God that He knows us by name. He knows how many hairs on our head. The Bible says in Psalm 56 that when a tear rolls down our cheek, He captures it in a bottle. I mean, he flat cares. So even though we don't understand what's going on, don't fall into the the idea that God is distant and detached. He cares about what's going on. Third, God is good. Psalm 119 verse 68 says, God is good and He does good. God's character is always good. Here's what that means. It means that God always does the right thing. God has never had to use the word, oops. He always acts in in concert with His perfect character and nature. He always does the right thing. And so I can say this, based upon that reality, God has never let you down. Never. Now, notice I didn't say that you've never gone through hard times. 
The Bible, the Bible is clear that, that God allows hard times in our lives and He weeds them together for good and He builds our character through it. But, but listen to me. He's never let you down. He's never done the wrong thing concerning you, ever. God is good. Next, and this is powerful, God empathizes. Empathizes. How does God empathize? Well, God the Son understands sorrow. Isaiah 53, verse 3, calls Jesus prophetically, hundreds of years before He walked on the earth, calls Jesus a man of sorrows. Which means that His time on this earth would be marked, deeply marked, by sorrow and brokenness as He dealt with the rejection of humanity. Over in John 11, verse 35, when Jesus was on this earth, He heard about the death of His good friend Lazarus, and He he comes to the scene, He's dealing with Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, and and he, He sees the unbelief of the crowds, He he comes to the tomb where his good friend is dead, and the Bible says, shortest verse in the Bible, John 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus understands what it's like to weep. He understands tears, he understands sorrow, he understands pain. He doesn't just, listen, he doesn't just sympathize, which is like, oh, poor, poor folks, but he empathizes. He's been there, right? He's been there. So, so, God the Son understands sorrow. God the Father understands sorrow. So what does God the Father know about sorrow? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You don't think that caused the Father's sorrow? You don't think it broke the Father's heart to, to give His Son, His perfect Son, as a sacrifice for sinners like me? You don't think it broke the Father's heart to see all of our sin and iniquity and wickedness laid upon His Son? You don't think it broke the Father's heart to punish His Son in our place as He poured out His wrath against the sin that we committed? He understands sorrow over in Romans chapter 8. It says that God did not spare His own Son. He understands a broken heart. The cross proves that God empathizes with those who are hurting. God the Spirit understands sorrow. God the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Written to Christians. That means that if we are not living like we ought to live, it is possible to grieve the Spirit, to, to, to break the Spirit's heart. That's what the word means, to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So when God's people act foolish and, and rebel and, and go their own way and, and ignore the Lord, it grieves the Spirit. It grieves Him. And the Bible says, Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit over in John 14, John 16, that the Spirit is a paraclete. The Greek word there. And, and, and the word paraclete means um, counselor, comforter, encourager, one who comes alongside. And so, listen to me. One of the Holy Spirit's rules in the life of the Christian is to come along beside of us when we're, when we're struggling. He gets it. He gets what sorrow is all about because He's right there with us, comforting us and and helping us through the pain, right? So God empathizes. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They they understand sorrow very, very well. And if you ever wonder, just look at the cross. The cross is the supreme demonstration that God loves us and He proved His love for us. By giving a son to die in our place. Here's the next reality concerning God that we know. God is in control. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does what He pleases. He does what He pleases. You've probably heard me use this illustration. Uh, it's just so poignant, but... Uh, there was a young Christian leader named Dawson Trotman. He started the Navigators Ministry. 
powerful preacher, on fire for the Lord in the middle part of the 1900s. He was a contemporary of Billy Graham. He and Billy Graham knew each other well. And they were up-and-coming stars in uh, evangelicalism. And Dawson Trotman uh, had just such a bright future. But at the lake one day, he uh, went to save a young girl who was drowning, and he drowned himself. And his young wife named Lila got a phone call telling her that Dawson Trotman, this young preacher, mighty man of God, that he was dead. You know what Lila Trotman quoted? Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens. He does what He pleases. He's in control. The fact that this hurts and the fact that this is a crushing weight does not mean that God's lost control of the universe. There's there's never an emergency meeting of the Trinity in heaven. God is in control. He is on His throne. He reigns supreme. And God is just. God is just. Uh, Look in Psalm 32. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 32 with me. Deuteronomy 32.4. Look at this description of the Lord by Moses before the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 32.4, I love this verse. Great verse to highlight in your Bible. The rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice. A, A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He. So Moses uh, reminds us that God is perfectly just. Turn over to Psalm chapter 9 with me. Psalm chapter 9. Verse 7. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne for justice. And He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. God is just. God is holy, which means He's a God of absolute moral perfection. And you will either embrace that holy God as Savior, who's forgiven you because you have believed in His Son who died in your place, or you will face that holy God as judge, which is a terrifying, terrifying thought. You read about it in Revelation 20. The great white throne of judgment. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. People are judged according to books that are opened with all of their deeds recorded. God's holy and God is just. Listen to me. Because that's true, once you hear me, no one gets away with anything. God's going to make everything right. And God will dispense and administer perfect justice. And here's the, the final thing that we, we know for sure. God can bring good from the evil. Genesis chapter 50 is the story of Jacob and his brothers and after or sorry Joseph and his brothers and when their father Jacob dies the brothers who sold him into slavery believe that Joseph's going to get his revenge now and they're really worried and so they come to Joseph and said please don't kill us now that dad's dead basically and and, and Joseph says these words, which are so powerful. He says, you meant it for evil. What you did, you meant for evil, but God meant it for good. He used your evil to get me to Egypt so I could uh, uh, ascend to be the second most powerful man in Egypt and collect grain so that when famine hit, I could save my own family by giving them food. You meant it for evil. You wanted to kill me, but you... Decided against it and sold me as a slave. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God can bring good from the evil. I read a a blog today by a writer named Jared Wilson. And this was uh, poignant because of of our uh, speaker um, on the Wednesday night of our Global Impact Conference. Remember Vance Pittman preached? He's a pastor in Las Vegas, Hope Church in Las Vegas. And uh, his church right now is getting national attention because they immediately mobilized 
to begin to minister to the hurting in Las Vegas. Remarkable how Vance is leading uh, that initiative. But, but Jerry Wilson says this, There are some good ministries in Las Vegas that have been seeking to bring the message of Christ to this broken city for quite a while. And tragedies as enormous as these murders often prompt otherwise ambivalent souls to lean into the message of hope found in the gospel. He writes, perhaps the murderer's unintended consequence may be desperate souls saved. I believe it's already happening. And so God can even use that kind of evil to impact a city of hurting people with the hope that's found only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you saw this recently. Steve Scalise is the congressman from... Uh, Louisiana, he's the House Republican whip. He recently spoke on the floor of Congress, and the reason that was significant is because he was uh, shot. Remember this attack as the um, congressmen were practicing for the congressional baseball game in Washington, D.C. A shooter came and began to shoot with a high-powered rifle, and he was the first one that went down and was seriously injured, and he, he just made it back to to Congress, and his words were were just fascinating. Listen to what he said on the floor of Congress, all right? He said, You have no idea how great this feels to be back here at work in the people's house. As you can imagine, these last three and a half months have been pretty challenging times for me and my family, but if you look at the outpouring of love, of warmth, of prayer, my gosh, Jennifer and I have been overwhelmed with all of that outpouring, and it's given us the strength to get through all of this and to get to this point today. Then he says, And it starts with God. When I was laying out on that ball field, the first thing I did once I was down and I couldn't move anymore is I just started to pray. Now I'll tell you, it gave me an unbelievable sense of calm knowing that at that point it was in God's hands. But I prayed for very specific things and I will tell you pretty much every one of those prayers was answered. And there were some pretty challenging prayers I was putting in God's hands. But He really did deliver for me and my family. And it just gives you that renewed faith and understanding that the power of prayer is something that you cannot underestimate. So I'm definitely, he says, on the, on the floor of Congress, I, 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 I definitely am, am a living example that miracles really do happen. You know what happened when he said these words? Republicans and Democrats stood on their feet and they were shouting and cheering and clapping. No one was saying, wait a minute, that's, you, you have separation of church and state. You shouldn't be talking about No! People were saying, yes, this man was shot and he prayed and God saved his life. Maybe we should give attention to that God. God used that, that tragedy of an evil man with a high-powered rifle to lead to a man standing on the floor of Congress speaking of the power of prayer. He went on to say, a lot of people ask, Does this event, did this event change you? Is an event like this going to really change that? And the, the first thing I can tell you is, yes, yes it changed me, but not in the ways you might think. It, it's only strengthened my faith in God. And it's really crystallized what shows up as the goodness in people. I got to see that goodness in people. So here's this man being cheered for talking about his relationship with God. Why? God can take the most tragic of circumstances and bring good out of them. That's what God does. Isn't that what Romans 8, 8, 28 means? God works everything together for the good of those that love Him, those called according to His purpose. God, God somehow weaves the good and the bad, the, the, the wonderful and the tragic. He weaves it all together ultimately for our good. And, and even when we're going through the trial, James 1 says, count it all joy knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. It, it builds your character. God is at work. So don't think that just because there is this stark evil in our world that God is not in control and God is not working. And God cannot bring good out of that evil. So, we've talked about the reality of a dangerous world. We've talked about the danger of dogmatic pronouncements. But third and last, there are some lessons. The lessons we all should learn. Turn back to Luke 13. Luke 13. And again, I hope I'm not sounding too scattered. These are, this is just kind of my process of how I've thought through these things and I'm trying to, trying to deal with it in my own life and heart because it is um, it's just terrible. 
But in, in Luke 13, Jesus wants us to understand there's a lesson we need to learn as we understand how dangerous our world really is. Verse 2, answer them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus wants them to understand this lesson. The reality of evil and the dangers of this world should cause us to see our need to repent. Repent means you turn from your life that's going in the wrong direction and you turn to Christ who is the only Savior and Lord. That's what repent means. Repent is turning away from your, your, your wrong direction, turning away from your sin. Faith is turning to Christ and embracing Him as your Lord and Savior. And Jesus here is saying, let the reality of a dangerous world remind you of how much you need to be ready. Right? Because you never know when someone with evil intent will come to harm you. Or you you never know when you'll be at the wrong place at the wrong time. A a natural disaster or a car accident or whatever. You you just never know. There, there, There are no guarantees. Which is why what we do here at The Point is so important. Preaching the gospel. Loving folks. Pointing people to Jesus. Because there are no guarantees. And people need to be ready. That's the next blank. Life is uncertain and brief, so we need to be ready to stand before our Maker. Right? We need to be ready to stand before our Maker. He said, if you don't repent, you're going to perish. It's almost like Jesus is saying, yeah, some people died at Siloam and some people died uh, at the hands of Pilate, but you're going to die too one day. Are you ready? If you don't repent, you're going to perish. You're going to experience eternity separated from me. That's what Jesus Christ is saying. And so, one thing that that our nation needs to learn, our community needs to learn, uh, people that are here at our church, maybe tonight or on Sunday mornings, we all need to learn life is brief, life is uncertain, life is dangerous. Oh, how we need Jesus. Right? We need to be ready to stand before our Maker because you never know when that's going to happen. We all need to be ready. And so... Jesus here is using these natural disasters, these, this disaster of the hands of evil intent. He's using the, these to say, you, you, need to be, you need to be ready. You need to repent. Journey back with me to September of 2001. Never forget it. It's on my way to seminary. And I listen to sports radio a lot when I'm in my vehicle. And I had sports radio on, and they kept talking about these planes. I go, why are they talking about planes? And the news was cutting in. I said, I want to hear about sports. What's going on? And, and then they were getting more information, and planes were crashing. And, 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 uh, and, and so I was like, what in the world? So um, I, I called Claire. I said, Claire, something's going on. She was at the apartment um, getting ready for work. I said, something's going on. I'm not sure what's going on. Um, just stay there. Just don't, don't go out of the apartment. Stay there until I figure out what's going on. I called my dad. Dad, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. Something's crazy. And I got to the seminary and more information was coming in. And I, I'll never forget Dr. Spradlin, our president, walked out. And he said, um, he said, our nation's under attack. And we got on our knees there in chapel and we prayed. And he said, go home to your family. So we got in my vehicle and went back, back to Claire. And you remember as those events unfolded uh, just how tragic that was. And, 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 and what's sadly interesting about that time to me is for about two, maybe three weeks, churches had higher attendance. People showed up for special prayer meetings during the week. Yeah, I think we opened our building for a prayer meeting. Uh, I was pastoring in Memphis at the time. And uh, churches were doing that. And, 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 and the, the next couple of Sundays, maybe three Sundays, uh, 
there were more people than normal at church. And there was this, 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 this feeling in the nation, oh, we need the Lord. Life is scary. Life is uncertain. This has been uh, devastating. Oh, we need the Lord. But after a few weeks, everything went back to normal. People who had found that renewed interest in church just went back to their old way of life. And instead of people getting right with God, people just went back and got in the swing of things. And, and my question is, what's it going to take? <laughs> 9-11, Virginia Tech, Orlando, Florida, Las Vegas. What's it going to take for people our nation to say, we need God. We need to fear Him and turn to Him. Because whatever we're doing right now ain't working. Right? It ain't working, folks. What's it going to take? Jesus says, the reality of danger should be an indicator in your heart you better turn to the Lord. You better turn to the Lord. So what I want to do tonight is this. I want to just have a, a few moments of prayer. I want to pray for the people in Las Vegas. And David Platt gave a very helpful list. David Platt is the president of our International Mission Board of our Southern Baptist Convention. Um, he gave us ten things to pray for. So this will be helpful. Put, put it in your Bible and keep it with you these next days as you're thinking about how to pray for folks. Number one, pray for hurting families and friends who awoke to news that a loved one was gone. Pray that they might know and experience God's mercy, comfort, strength, sustenance in their every hurt, every pain, every thought, every emotion. You know, the, the stories are coming out now about you know, just people, everyday folks who, who died in that uh, heinous attack. And it's just so heartbreaking. Pray for those who are injured, that God might use His common grace in doctors, nurses, emergency rooms, hospital beds to bring about their healing. There are still people in very critical condition. As far as I know, the count is still 59 people that have died, and we want to pray that that doesn't increase. Three, pray for those who are helping the injured. Pray for wisdom, strength, skill for these doctors, nurses who are attending to massive physical needs all around them, many without sleep or rest. Hospitals in that area were inundated with people, as you can imagine, and these folks are working overtime to help. Pray for justice. Pray for justice for anyone and everyone who played any part in this evil event, for grace and wisdom in our civil government, for executing justice. You know, the, the, the big conversation is now, why did he do it? And, and we, we don't know. And there's information coming out. And he's interviewing his girlfriend or whatever. And, and, uh, and, and so they're, they're investigating, and we don't know where that will lead. Um, but we want justice to be done. Five, pray for mercy. Plainly put, the city of Las Vegas, all across our country, we desperately need the mercy of God. Let's all plead for it. Number six, this is interesting again because of our GIC. Pray for the church in Las Vegas. Pray for local churches like Hope Church, pastored by my good friend Vance Pittman. David Platt wrote that. In, in, to indeed hold on to and hold, on, uh, hold out the hope of Christ in the midst of despair. So you've heard Vance preach. He was here at our GIC. Um, so you know him. You have a face. So pray for Vance. Pray for Hope Church. Other churches in that area that are ministering to the hurting and having remarkable opportunities to, um, to love on those that are just um, devastated. Pray for people who don't know Christ, whether in Las Vegas or anywhere else in the world, watching what has happened. Pray that more and more people in a world of sin, suffering, evil, and death would know the peace, hope, love, and security that are found in Christ alone. That's kind of uh, what we're reading about tonight. Which leads to number eight, pray for repentance. The sight of sin and evil in the world should, uh, around us should not just provoke us to look at the horror of sin and evil in others, but to turn from the horror of sin and evil in each of our own hearts. We, need a, we all need a Savior. Number nine, pray for perspective. Events like these remind us that every one of our lives is a mist here for a moment and gone tomorrow. We all stand on the porch of eternity, so let's pray that today we might live for what's going to matter forever. Well said. And then number ten, pray for the coming of Christ. My son said to me this morning, and we read this earlier, at least we're in a safe place in the world, which I responded, unfortunately there's no safe place in this world. But then I told him, the good news though, is that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth where everyone will be safe. Let's pray and plead for the coming of that day. Is it biblical to pray for Jesus to return? Uh, End of... Revelation, he prays, Maranatha, come 
Lord, come. It's biblical to pray that Jesus Christ will return and set everything right, which is what He's going to do.